You've tuned in to a special edition of the Roundtable Podcast. 20 Minutes with Larry Santoro. Hello, literary alchemists. I'm Dave Robertson. And filling in for the absent Brian Humphrey, I'm Paul Ellard Cooley. And you're listening to a special showcase episode of the Roundtable Podcast, 20 Minutes With. On 20 Minutes With, we have the chance to sit down with the awesome and generous guest hosts who help us with our workshops and uh, kind of pick their brains, explore their craft, dig into how it is they do what they do for the benefit and enlightenment of our listeners. It sounds so effete and so, what, noble? Let's say you're Paul. Quite possibly noble. But Quite possibly. I'm not really sure the nobility is even a, a, a concept here. We're talking about literature. There's no nobility in literature. <laughs> There's only noble characters. That's Maybe. right. The writers themselves, perhaps not so much. The writers are scum. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Paul, I, before we get into this, thank you so much, man, for filling in for Brian. I am so glad to have you as my wingman. Uh, you're very welcome, but I'm not taking on the ugly one. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, fine. On that note, uh, uh, Paul, let me introduce you to our guest host, if I may. All righty. Somewhere in the Yucatan Peninsula, when the sun sets and darkness falls like a shroud, our guest host's voice echoes against the crumbling stones of an ancient Aztec temple. He speaks with the voice of an ancient Aztec god, instructing tourists on the history of the Aztec ruins. Uh, I think this may be a first for the round table. Now, Paul, do you see behind you there that board with all the check marks on it? Yeah, I think I see that. Okay, do me a favor and mark another check next to actor turned writer, would you? Oh, no. We oh, have one of those? Oh, my. We're up to 27, dude, and, and right. counting. Um, checked. Our guest host uh, has played Sherlock Holmes and nearly every role worth a damn in A Midsummer Night's Dream and directed many more. Uh, not only that, but he's also taught theater uh, at the Minneapolis Children's Theater Company in a few high schools, a couple of small colleges. Uh, he even taught acting and playwriting in Fargo, North Dakota. He's worked with Morris the Cat and made tiny pieces of furniture for Prince. <laughs> no, no lie. Now, that is a hell of a resume. I'm telling you. Now, literary passions were always uh, a part of his life as well. In the third grade, a substitute teacher did a unit on astronomy. And our guest host got caught up in all the, the, the conceptualization of the vast distances between stellar bodies, which promptly started him reading sci-fi. And he cut his teeth on Highland and Paul Anderson and a huge fan of Bradbury. Now, he read his first poem in public in the back room of Sheffield's Bar on a Sunday night in Chicago. Now, it was a transformative moment for him, and he kept writing, kept exploring, and a stack of poems soon became stories and then a novel. In 2001, our guest host's novella, God Screamed and Screamed and Then I Ate Him, was nominated for a Bram Stoker Award, and he shared the nomination spotlight with the likes of Stephen King and Joyce Carol Oates. His adaptation and audio production of Gene Wolfe's The Tree Is My Hat was also Stoker-nominated. Uh, his work has appeared in anthologies such as Year's Best Fantasy and Horror and A Dark and Deadly Valley. 
Someone at some point observed that our guest host had written a bunch of stories with the same setting and the same characters and observed that, you know, this appears to be a book. And then in 2007, those stories became his first novel, Just North of Nowhere. And just last December, a collection of his short fiction, Drink for the Thirst to Come, was published. He lives in Chicago and is at work on two new novels, Griffin and the Sky Warriors and A Mississippi Traveler or Sam Clemens Tries the Water and the novella that will not stop, Hogs Mountain Manor. And when he's not doing that, he's the host of the weekly horror podcast, Tales to Terrify, a Parsec Award finalist in 2012, and one of the shows that comprise the District of Wonders. Dear friends, please welcome to the big chair at the round table, Mr. Larry Santoro. Larry, thank you so much for making the time to join us and speak a little bit about your craft. We appreciate it, sir. Uh, is it my turn now? Am I in the right? Have you? No, I, I really. I'm. I'm honored to be in the presence of that fellow you just described. Really, uh, <laughs> I. I. I wouldn't even let me in the room with him if I were he. I. Uh, mm, and gosh. Y- and yet, <clears throat> yeah. is there any lie to be found in that bit of of purple prose? No, no lies, no lies. Okay. No, no. Actually, it's it's all sort of true. And I was just waxing poetic about myself as I was listening to you. It was it's, it was so much better hearing it. From you than living it. I think. Uh, <laughs> That's I, always the case. I'm afraid. <laughs> yeah. Well, Larry, uh, let's uh, yeah, let's yeah. get down to our 20 minutes with here. I'm, all right. I'm going to start. I'm going to start the timer, uh, and we always ignore it. It it, 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 it never right. works, but it, it's we try. We just keep keep trying. Uh, so let me let me lead off with our first question. Um, yeah. Larry, your the canon of work that you've done to date, anyway. Uh, is largely comprised of horror. And I was curious... No? no? Well... Well... I (laughs) consider myself a horror writer, to be be honest. I cut my teeth uh, doing science fiction years and years ago, none of which ever came to public light. Uh, And then I kind of stopped writing for years. Uh, I I focused on theater, and I, I was not an actor, really. I acted when I had to, but mostly I was a director. And when I couldn't get directing gigs or acting gigs, I did a lot of tech work. I was a lot of I did a lot of uh, lighting design, lighting, uh, working with lighting designers, and so forth. Uh, and teaching, yeah. But after I, I, I the, the whole poetry thing that you mentioned that I read over at Sheffield mm-hmm. was because a an an intern of mine when I was working at the organic theater here in Chicago um, was a writer and she asked me to come listen to her and I said sure I'll hear what you have to say and I went over to the bar and she and some other people were reading poetry and she was good she was very good and I thought oh, hmm, that's interesting I haven't written <laughs> I haven't touched pen to paper as to her in 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 a long time so for the next week i i did this thing on my grandmother and who literally died in my hands when i was three and a half years four years old oh my and i i read read that and 
got a very nice response. It was like being in a theater again. <laughs> because when I was over at The Organic, I was principally uh, working with writers to help them develop their scripts and so forth. And, uh, and directing a bit, too. But it, it felt good to get up in public again and actually say a few of my own words. Sure. And uh, that's how that all started. Now, why am I talking about this? Tell me. Tell me, Dave. Uh, because we, I, had, I had cited you as a horror writer, and you were correcting me. Oh, I'm not a horror writer. Well, but the bulk of your work, Larry, that. that's out there, that, that has been published or has, has been nominated, uh, has been of a bone-chilling variety, has it not? It, gosh, you know, I, I don't want to prevaricate here. I, I don't want to lie, and I don't want to... <laughs> <laughs> too much. But I don't consider what I do to be horror, and I, I think I don't ever consider what it is I'm going to write when I when I actually get my fingers working. I start writing, and then sometimes it's really nasty, and it's I, I have the <laughs> I, have I the, hear you, bro. <laughs> I, this gathering of stories that I refer to as my vile tales. Let me tell you why I call them my vile tales, please. Uh, years ago, uh, when I was first starting to write fiction again, I wrote a story that was just about the murder of a prostitute who then something happens to her after her death. And uh, anyway, it was really nasty. Uh, and there's a lot of sex in it at the beginning. Uh, she dies from too much sex, as a matter of fact. Oh, my. <laughs> sex Paul, really shut up. Paul, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> what? What? I wasn't going to say anything. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Please, Larry, do continue. Because <laughs> of sex and baseball bats. Anyway, that's... Oh, jeez. Okay, Paul, go. <laughs> wow, that's... Uh, hmm. Yeah, you know, I think they make better toys for that, but I could be wrong. Okay. I could sell this damn thing. And somebody said, well, you know, Ellen Datlow is doing an anthology of erotic fiction. And I said, oh, no, no, this, this, isn't, this isn't erotic. This is vile. <laughs> and uh, I sent it to her, and I had the probably the fastest rejection <laughs> history i had a rejection within three minutes wow <laughs> and she, she, she said i don't consider gang rape to be erotic apologize to ellen whom i didn't know at the time but i've since gotten to know and we know each other pretty well anyway so she, I said, you know, I, I, I agree with you, Ellen. It, it is vile. Uh, and I just sent it to you because somebody said I should. So I, I'm, I'm a shy kind of guy like that. Anyway, that's what happened. Um, but, you know, yes, terrible things happen in some of my stories. And in other stories, really good things happen. And uh, in general, other than the, the vile tales... I don't consider what I... I'll write tales that are terrifying, 
but not necessarily horror, by which I mean I like the quiet kind of horror. I, sure. I like atmosphere. I like mood. I will spend page after page describing uh, the moonlight, uh, describing the sound of water. Uh, and I have to cut a lot of that crap out. <laughs> <laughs> but you indulge. I do indulge. I do indulge. And what I, 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 I don't know. I don't know. Why do you think people, I mean, I mean, you know, drink for the thirst to come. Just look at the cover of yeah. that collection. Uh, why, I, I understand how you're writing the story that you need to write. Why is it then that people seem to choose to, to classify it in, in some ways, because apparently we have to, into the horror genre? Well, because some terrible things happen. Okay. Uh, <laughs> well... Yes, terrible things happen in life, and life isn't a horror story. Life is just what is, and I think that's what I try to get. Uh, I begin always with character. I begin always with a person having some kind of a situation that uh, generally is uncomfortable, uh, that gets worse as it goes along, and sometimes it gets better. And then sometimes he thinks it gets better, but it's not. It's really worse. Uh, Drink for the Thirst to Come. Uh, the title story in that is almost science fiction. I mean, it's, it's a post-apocalyptic uh, story that was written for an anthology that never happened. Uh, and I had my story left over, and I put it aside, as I am wont to do with most of my work. Uh, I never know what I'm going to write when I start. As I said, uh, sometimes it comes out science fictiony. Sometimes it comes out horror. Sometimes it's vile. Sometimes it's just a sweet reminiscence of childhood. Sometimes I think I'm channeling Ray Bradbury, and other times I'm I'm in Joe Lansdale territory, and other time in Clive Barker universe. We'll be back with more of our conversation with Larry Santoro after this brief promotional break. This is Christoph Laputka, author and creator of The Leviathan Chronicles. Do you want to learn how to make your own audio drama? The best thing about the whole process is that nobody appreciates it but us. You're not singing and you're not in a band, then you should not be using a, a mic that's too good because it, it picks up, up everything, right? Everything, yeah. right. Uh, you know. Do you want to learn more about directing voice actors? For me, it is a performance, and I appreciate it when somebody else delivers a performance and uh, recognizes that this is some kind of art form and not just something that we're doing as a little community to, uh, to get stories out there. Do you want to take your podcast to the next level? Well, this is supposed to be a superior way to do it. It's just that if you're using the kind of free software that's available for a, a PC you probably haven't done this before because it's not really convenient to do something. Mm -hmm. But most people don't realize that you release under a non-com no-derives license. That doesn't mean that you can't then take what you did and go not just publish a book but adapt it for the screen hmm. or um, sell the podcast that you've recorded to the BBC for um, broadcast in hmm. another country. Mm -hmm then you need to tune in to the Full Cast Podcast with Brian Lincoln and Abigail Hilton. 
the best place to get information on the production and assembly of great podcasts and great audio drama. I mean, talking to you guys, everyone I talk to, I feel like I've learned something from. Everyone's got their strengths and backgrounds. Different people have a background in music or in film or, you know, I'm in science, so maybe I would be the kind of person that might try to actually design some sort of a noise reduction filter from raw code. Not that I have, but... Tune in to the Fullcast Podcast. Our website is fullcastpodcast.com. Now, let's get back to the conversation with Larry Santoro. At what point do you think, Larry, do you find, do you, do you have a sense of the story to be told? When I finish it. And I, <laughs> it's not even then, to be, to be honest. Uh, I will get a story finally finished, and I'll look at it, and it'll be 10,000 words. And I know I'm going to have to cut it down to about five solid words, 5,000 solid words. And then I'm beginning to discover what the story is that I've really written. And generally speaking, have to go back and shuffle things about and make it actually conform to what the actuality is. Uh, okay. I found a lot when I was working with writers that were writing for theater, oddly enough. Uh, when I was at the Organic, I was the literary manager, dramaturg, and I would work with playwrights who had written a play, and they had no idea what their play was about. Uh, they thought they were writing one thing, and I'd look at it, and I'd say, yeah, I see where you're going here. I see that. That's where you're leading. And then at the end, suddenly, they've got something tacked on, that, and I would have to kind of go in with them and soothe them and smooth them and say, look, what did you want to do with this? Where were you going when you started it? Let's find that path, because I think you've strayed. And I stray all the time myself. I get too tied up with a character. I get too tied up with some side story that that character is dealing with. Uh, my characters tell stories frequently. This thing I'm working on right now, uh, Hogs Mountain Manor, begins with a group of writers sitting around in what was the Red Lion, uh, which was a pub here in Chicago and uh, just hanging out drinking and their agent is with them and he begins to tell a story and that's the story of the story and I, I guess I was thinking of in kind of oh William Hope Hodgson territory with this sure. uh, the, it's a ghost tale and none of the writers, they're all horror writers none of the writers particularly like ghost tales. They think ghosts are pussies. Uh, <laughs> well, they are. And he begins to spin out this tale. And there are so many tributaries that lead away from and then back into the story that this little tale that I was going to begin and wrap up in three or 4,000 words suddenly is now at something like 15,000. And golly willikers... It can't sustain that, but yet I want it to. So I've got myself in kind of a bind with it. But it could, in fact, turn into a novel. How, how long have you been working on that, Larry? Month, month and a half. Okay. Two months. Two months. Okay. It sounds like there's a lot of backstory that you've, you've evolved uh, in, that, in that short amount of time. The thing about it is that 
I meant it to be one thing, and I'm discovering it to be quite a different tale. And that's where I'm at. Okay. And that's working now on three novels simultaneously. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it sounds like uh, you know, basically you're, you're kind of in the same boat I am, where you think, you, you think the story is going to end up one place, and it just ends up completely somewhere else. Um, yeah. when, when that happens, uh, do you do you outline it all, or are you just kind of pantser, or what do you no. do? No, I don't outline. I, I have on occasion. Um, back when I was putting uh, Just North of Nowhere together, that was a collection. That was a bunch of stories that suddenly, as as Dave said, somebody suggested, this is a book. And well, it was part of a book, but the stories all linked together. They were all part of a little set in a little town in the upper Midwest. And the, the, the lead character in one story would be sort of an ancillary figure in another. Uh, when I realized that, yes, this could be a book, I started writing stories to that book and started creating an arc that went from a story that had not been written yet to the ending, uh, a story, uh, several stories that had not yet been written, and had to fill in gaps in between. Then I had to outline, and then I had to take some of the stories that had been written, and some of which had been published as separate pieces, and uh, redo them and make them fit the arc. So, in that sense, yes, I, I, I kind of uh, outlined that, but I, I don't typically. I when, you, when you went back and, and reworked those stories for the arc, uh, did you end up actually rewriting them, or did you have to change just minor details? Uh, details, dropped things, added things. Uh, yeah, I mean, there was some rewriting to be done, and, I, and I, as I perhaps indicated, I have a tendency to rewrite uh, and, I, and I and I get too too involved with the senses sometimes. I, I, I like uh, it's that poet soul in you, sir. I, I, no, I just too much like, Shakespeare. I think what it is is I recognize that good writing uh, has to be more than just the story and more than just the character. There is another character involved, and that is the heart and soul of the writer who is putting it all together. And that is expressed in the senses, and all, un unfortunately, it's too frequently just the visual sense. You know, if you look at so much writing that fills the genre shelves, mostly what we're seeing is a visual view of the world rather than the smell of the world, the taste of it, uh, the sound of the world, how the world feels on our skin. And I always try to kind of what, uh, what uh, somebody once said is the triangulation of the senses, you know, taking in any given sequence or scene in a, in a piece, uh, making three senses come into play. Uh, rather than just the site or just whatever. Hmm. I had heard of, of introducing the senses, other senses besides just the visual, but I, I had not heard of the triangulation. That actually would make for a much richer scene 
uh, and a more tangible and a more engaging one for the reader. That's that's what we hope. Yeah. Okay. I did have one question, Larry. Yeah. As you as you've gone through a story, let's let's say you've gone through the first draft, and and you discovered, aha, this is a, this is a story where terrible things happen. Um, I need to go back now and make sure everything is in line with that vibe so that it, it is a consistent story. Um, a, a scene can be written a lot of different ways, and I'm curious, how, how do you make a scene horrifying? What, what are the, what's the technical or aesthetic differences that take a sequence of events and turn them into a, a taut and terrifying event? Damned if I know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we know something terrible is going to happen and the terrifying part comes when you stretch that out and you basically let the reader know that at the end of this sequence this awfulness will have happened and the character may or may not know it Uh, the the, the secondary characters may or may not know it but you've got to let the, the readers know that this is going to happen. And it's the, the ticking clock thing, you know, uh, okay. builds suspense. But it also can build terror, uh, depending on the atmosphere you've created. Uh, in uh, God Screamed and Screamed, Then I Ate Him. I have a whole underground segment of that story. And we know that this, our, our lead guy, is going to go underground and that at the end of it something awful could or could not happen depending on how he handles it and you just take him deeper and deeper into this dare i say may i create a phrase here heart of darkness (laughs) underground to this place where yes something terrible happens but then he's saved of course at the end uh and you just have to keep building. In that case, it was building with mostly sound and smell because the cave was pitch black. Which is just, terrifying in and of itself. Occasionally, there are lights from these underground creatures, and they keep getting brighter and brighter as he gets toward this heart of darkness, this center out of which rises this great old one. <laughs> See, that that sounds pretty darn terrifying to me. Um, and Paul, you kind of did the same thing with uh, with the the hunters' story, as I recall. Yeah, something something similar to that effect. So, when you're you're building the atmospheres, but when the stories are you, <laughs> the datapublications.com slogan is "We don't believe in happy endings." Mm-hmm. So then the question for you as a writer is, do you? Oh, gosh. How, how to answer that without sounding glib? I, <laughs> uh, in the sense that whatever the torment is, it's over. Uh, there is generally some sense of justice that prevails. Uh, there's a story I did called Rat Time in the Hall of Pain, uh, which... <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love these titles. Oh. It's my gift. It's a serial killer who goes about the country uh, on a cross-country 
killing trip. And as he's wandering through across the land, he realizes that he's he keeps running into these various halls of fame uh, along the way. The interesting thing about that character is that he is he doesn't even know who he is. He kind of becomes the best friend, the buddy, the the pal, the the natural adjunct to the person he's going to kill. And mm. killing may be within minutes of him meeting the person or a longer period. But in any event, the man ends up in a room in this strange little place in along the east coast somewhere in this little hall of pain and he's in a small room where there is no one but windows that reflect back on him and he has everything he wants and he ends up to say it it will sound strange and perhaps a little lifty but he ends up slowly, carefully devouring himself. Mm. <laughs> so he has a happy ending. It is. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. <laughs> I'll let that one go. Uh, gentlemen, I, I would love to just wax along these lines for, for many, many hours, but I see that the clock has not only wound down, but it's died reanimated uh, <laughs> and is, is making obscene zombie gestures at me. Um, so I must bring it to a close. Larry, thank you so much. This has been delightful, um, educational, and enlightening on many levels. We really appreciate you taking the time, sir. Can I get a recording of your introduction? I mean, I really like that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I'll, I'll make sure I get, get it off to you as soon as the episode is produced, sir. Where did you get all that information? Oh, I, I, I listened to interviews. I read your websites and other websites. I take great pride in my introduction, sir. I, I like to make sure that our guest hosts are properly framed for our listeners' pleasure and edification. Good. Oh, <laughs> uh, well. Uh, Paul. Sir, thank you, sir, very much for for wingman it with me. What do you what do you think about this evening's uh, twenty minutes with? Uh now I got to go find this guy's work because <laughs> are, are you, big, you you mentioned Lansdale earlier. Are you a big fan of Joe? Joe, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I I I know Joe fairly well. Uh, yeah. So it sounds to me like you from just from the titles, it sounds like you two are sharing the same literary sphere. <laughs> so that's a good thing. I, I like it. I'm gonna now. I'm gonna have to go get some of your work. See, and I'm hoping our our listeners will do the same. Uh, and as long as we're sharing gratitude, dear friends, thank you as always for hitting that play button uh, and catching this episode of Twenty Minutes with you. Complete the cycle for us. Without you, we're just shouting in the dark. Uh, we're, we're protagonists in one of Larry's stories, and that's that's never, well, not always a fun thing. So, uh, although we will get a happy ending, um, if you enjoyed this as much as we did, please do us the the privilege and favor of spreading the word, letting folks know 
that the round table is out there. The more people that tune into this awesomeness, the more it spreads and the world eventually becomes enveloped in this wonderful miasma of awesomeness. And we'll all walk around with smiles on our faces. Um, uh, a review on iTunes is always welcome. Uh, comments on the comment section for the post. And you can also send us an email at the table at roundtablepodcast.com. Uh, stay tuned, friends. In just a couple of days, we're going to have Larry back. And we're going to bring that wonderful aesthetic to bear in workshopping a story from a, from a brave, courageous, and creative guest writer. Uh, until then, I know Brian would wish you to go right. And for myself, I will tell you once again that you find what you're looking for. Uh, so set your sights on the good stuff, the blue label, top shelf goodness. Because not only do you deserve it, but my dear friends, you will find it. We will talk to you in a couple of days. Until then, stay cool, stay frosty, be awesome, and we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. This episode is copyrighted 2012 by the Roundtable Podcast and is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means don't sell it, but you can share it all you like. And you can even use pieces of it in your own derivative work as long as you attribute us as the source and release the work under the same licensing terms. Theme music composed and performed by the talented Hepcats of Brotown, Gary Gold, David LaBroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you'd like to be a guest writer or guest host, or learn more about the Roundtable Podcast, please visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com. Or visit our Facebook page at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast. Our Twitter tag is at writerspodcast. Or just send us an email at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.